So a little known fact that you might not know, um, in a room this size, I have no doubt that there are at least a handful, maybe more, experts among us. Now, the thing about these experts is they are often humble people. They often fly under the radar. And in fact, I'm going to say like 80 to 90% of the time, you're not even going to know that they're an expert. But you put this expert in the right context and you watch their expertise come to the forefront with passion and with zeal and with energy. Now, for this particular group of experts, where I see their passion come to the forefront is often in either the passenger seat of the car or the back seat of the car. Now, these experts have a very clinical, very technical name. Uh, They're called backseat drivers. And these backseat drivers, suddenly when they're watching you drive, they become experts on road safety and on on how you should drive and how uh, how, how you should function. And they bring their expertise to bear by a sort of running commentary, right? And it's these little comments like, ooh, that was a rough stop, huh? And inside you're thinking, Jesus, I know this is a moment of spiritual maturity. Give me patience, right? But what, what this backseat driver does is they love to offer this sort of running commentary of, of slight criticism or uh, a comment on, on how you're functioning. The problem is they're not engaged in the process. They don't have to worry about weather conditions or traffic conditions. They don't have any of the stress of driving because they're not actually engaged in it. They just get to sit there, drink their lemonade, and make their comments about your driving. It's great, right? Now, here's the spiritual parallel that I want to draw. I think sometimes in the church world, we become really good backseat drivers. And what I mean by that is we become pretty good at recognizing the world is broken. We know this, right? You read the newspaper, you watch the news, we go, okay, something's fundamentally broken in our world. Now, what seems to be our specialty a lot of times as believers is we want to sit over here sort of disconnected and we want to offer a sort of running commentary on what's wrong with the world. We'll offer maybe a, a cynical mindset or a critical mindset, and we might lament the youth of today, or we might lament the way culture doesn't follow the teachings of Scripture, and we'll make all sorts of these comments and commentaries, but the problem is we're not actually engaged and involved and invested in actively serving and ministering to a broken world that we live in. It's always easier to be the backseat driver. It's always easier to make comments without the weight of being involved and invested in what's actually taking place. What I want to challenge us with this morning is not to get comfortable functioning as backseat drivers who like to make comments and commentary on the state of culture. I want to push us this morning, church, to be a people who are involved and invested, and the churchy phrase is, on mission with what God is doing. I want to approach this through three questions. First, I think we have to ask and answer this question, what is our mission? What has God called us to? What are we about? Secondly, I think we have to answer this question, who has God called to be faithful in this mission? And finally, I think we need to address this question, where do we even start? How do we get involved in this uh, mission that God has called us to? So let's begin with that first question. What's our mission? What is it that God has called us to? And this question is fundamentally important because your mission in life becomes the thing that you prioritize. It becomes the thing that orients the trajectory of the rest of your life. A few weeks ago, Steve Warner asked the question when he was preaching, who is on the throne of your life? You see, the thing that's central to your life will become a guiding theme and a priority in your life. So this question of what is our mission is fundamentally important because it shapes the rest of our life. 50 days ago, we celebrated Easter. And this is one of the 
the most significant moments in the Christian calendar. Easter is this moment where we celebrate the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's this moment where we go, wow, God saw our broken world and he sent his son to die on the cross. And and because of his life, death, and resurrection, we can have freedom. I love the way Ephesians 2 talks about it. It says, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but it says, because God in his rich mercy made us alive with Christ. I love that. What we celebrated in Easter is that Jesus offers us this invitation into a new life. Now, in, in church world, when we, we talk about salvation, we talk about new life, we often use this phrase to respond to this, you invite Jesus into your life. You've probably heard this, and you've probably heard me talk about this before. Now, my critique with that is, it makes me nervous that when we say, Jesus, I'm going to invite you into my life. What makes me nervous is that what we're saying is, God, I've got a good thing going. I've got my agenda set. I've got my plan set. If you can tag along, but if we could just keep the agenda the same, that'd be great. Like, please don't change anything. The challenge is that when you read the New Testament, Jesus never says, hey, can you invite me into your life? I see you've got a great thing going. Can I just tag along? No, over and over again in the scriptures, when Jesus encounters people, he doesn't say, hey, can I come along with you? He says, no, why don't you come and follow me? So here's the point that I want to make, church. To answer the invitation to experience new life in Jesus is to recognize that we are called to have a new mission as well. We don't get to experience new life without also answering the call to a new mission. Let me flesh this out for you. In the book of Mark, In this gospel, Jesus begins to to call disciples to himself. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. It says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. I mean, do do you notice the language that Jesus uses? He comes to James and John, and he comes to Simon and Andrew, and he says, I want you to come and follow me. And the way that they respond, it says immediately they drop their nets, and they begin to follow this Jesus guy. I mean, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, if I'm Zebedee, by the way, this is they left their father in the boat, right? They're getting their nets ready, and I'm like, Jesus, you took all my help. What do I do now, right? But James and John, they drop their nets and they leave their father in the boat. And what we know from this little snippet is James and John, that's their family business. This is what they grew up doing. But Jesus says, no, 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 I want you to come follow me. And he radically reorients and changes the trajectory of their life because his call to follow him is also a call to a new mission. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying all of us are called to be a pastor or missionary, but I think all of us are called to be a part of this mission that God has called each one of us to. Because church, we cannot respond to the invitation of new life in Jesus without also recognizing that we are called to a new mission as well. So here's still the question though, right? Okay, what, what, what is this mission? If you read the Gospels and you watch the story of Jesus unfold, there's this moment at the end of the Gospel of Matthew where, where Jesus has this opportunity to sort of send a, uh, give his disciples a send-off message. And now if, if, if you're a coach, if you're a leader, you know that there's crucial moments where you have to engage the hearts of your people. And so imagine like if it's before big football came and you're the coach, you want to give your players some inspiration and you want to send them out. So you're going to give them this important, meaningful message. 
So if you read the end of the Gospel of Matthew, we have this moment where Jesus is sending off the disciples and he gives them this crucial mission and message and he tells them, he said, this is his, his last message to the disciples in Matthew. He says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, teach people to obey the things that I've taught you. Church, that, that's, it's that simple. That is our mission, to go and make disciples of people everywhere, to teach them to obey the things that God has taught us. Now, a disciple, we might have that question, what's a disciple? A disciple is a student or a follower of Jesus who is saying each day, how do I become more like him? How can my life, how can my heart, how can my character more and more reflect who Jesus is? So when Jesus tells the disciples, hey, I want you to go and make other disciples, what he's saying is go and tell other people what I've taught you. Go and tell other people what it is and what it looks like to follow me. Church, this is our mission. And we have to keep our mission primary because the mission gives shape and focus and trajectory to the rest of our life. Now, here's this question, and, and I've sort of addressed it in passing, but I want to push into it a little more intentionally. Here's this question of, okay, so who does Jesus call to be about this mission? Now, when I talked about the end of Matthew, he said that Jesus told them to go and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus calls us as believers to go and have this global worldwide influence. If you're going to start a movement like this, who you invite to be part of that process is really important, right? If I was tasked with this, what we might be tempted to do, if you were tasked with this, what we might be tempted to do is say, okay, if I'm going to put together a team to start a global movement, we've got to get shakers and movers on the team, right? If I'm one of the disciples, I might come to Jesus with this great strategy to be like, okay, Jesus, we've got to go to the Roman emperor. We get the emperor on board, this global thing, it's easy, right? Maybe we should get some of the governors on board. What if we get Pontius Pilate on board? We could get some of these guys, we could recruit them to the team, and then we could make a, a huge impact in the world. But yet when Jesus begins to recruit his team, he doesn't go to the cultural power centers of his day. He doesn't go and ask for uh, an audience with the emperor. No, when Jesus begins to recruit his team, he recruits right away four fishermen. These are ordinary, everyday people. And church, here's what we have to understand is that God calls ordinary people like you and I into his mission. God calls ordinary people, catch this, into an extraordinary mission. What God is calling us to is no less than a global, worldwide, spiritual movement of which we are called to be a part. God calls ordinary people into an extraordinary mission, and God wants to use everyday, ordinary people like you and I to have a spiritual impact and influence on the world. But here's the question. How do we fulfill that mission? We're called to make disciples. We know it's people like you and I, ordinary, everyday people that are called into this mission. How in the world do we begin to start? I want to look at Acts chapter 1 as we flesh out where to begin to push into this mission that God has called us to and what it looks like to be effective. Acts chapter 1 says this. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. This was written by Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, by the way. So he says, in my other book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Where do we start? How do we push into this call to go and make disciples? What, what does faithfulness look like? The, the book of Acts is the story of, of the beginning of the church. It's the beginning of the story of this global worldwide movement. And verse 8 of chapter 1 is, is a fundamental linchpin to this whole story. Acts 1.8 begins to, to tell us what it is and what it looks like to be faithful in this call to God has given us to go and make disciples. And in verse 8, it says this. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Church, if we're going to be faithful about this mission to go and make disciples, th this first component is so simple. We are called to go and bear witness. Now, I feel like if, I, if we talk about witnessing, sometimes in the church that has a lot of weird religious baggage to it, right? Can we just say that? Like if I said, hey, go witness to people on the street, you'd be like, I, I don't know if that's for me, right? So there's weird baggage. Let, let's talk about this. Think about a car accident. If you come up on the scene of a serious car accident and, and the officer who's going to investigate the accident shows up, one of the first things they're going to ask for is what? Witnesses, right? They're, they're going to want a statement. Okay, who saw this? And what they're asking for is who lived through this? Who experienced it? Who saw and observed what actually took place? Now, notice in Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them, gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive and appeared to them. So when Jesus says, hey, I want you to go and bear witness, what he says is, guys, you know me. You, you did life with me. You've experienced me. I, I personally taught you. He says, go and just tell other people what you know of me. And church, what I want us to understand is bearing witness to what God has done is simple. This is about the reality that you, as a believer, you have had a real, tangible encounter with the living, resurrected Jesus who's done a work of redemption and restoration and transformation in your life. So when Jesus says, go and be a witness, what he's saying is, tell the story of what God has done in your life. Church, your story has power and meaning and purpose and significance. What would it look like? to faithfully bear witness to say, hey, can I tell you what God has done in my life? You have no idea who I used to be and how I used to live, but I am so fundamentally different. Can I, let me just share with you my story. Be witnesses. I think the second thing that's fundamentally important to this idea of being faithful to the mission is we have to avoid mission drift. Now, mission drift is what happens when, when you have your mission, you have your eyes focused on the mission that God has called us to. Mission drift happens when we go, what about this thing? I'm going to go over here. You can tell what your mission is by where your urgency is. So let me ask you, church, what are you urgent about? When you wake up in the morning, what have you, what have you feel driven towards? I think sometimes it's easy for our urgency to be about things like financial security and, and job competence. And, and those aren't bad things. But listen, church, I think what happens is that becomes our sole and only focus when what God has called us to, to go and make disciples, that's our primary and fundamental mission. Now, look what happens with the disciples here. In verse 3, it says, After Jesus' suffering, uh, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Catch this. And it says, He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. This is a simple message. Speaking about the kingdom of God is Jesus telling them, hey, 
When God's on the throne, when God is ruling and reigning, here's what the world looks like. That's the message of the kingdom. This is what he's been proclaiming to them. Look what happens in verse 6. It says, Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of, not God, of Israel? They've got mission drift. They've taken the spiritual message of Jesus and they've politicized it. And they say, oh, oh God, we know what you're doing. You're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to lead a military revolution and Israel is going to rise again. And, and this is the moment. What does Jesus tell them? He goes, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father is set by his own authority. What's Jesus telling him? He goes, hey, don't make this a political movement. The primary mission of God is not to overthrow the emperor of Rome. The primary mission of God is to go and transform in radical ways the lives of people. Church, can I ask you, what are you urgent about? What gets our fire going? Because for me, can I just tell you one of my frustrations in the last year or so is we have been so driven by things like politics and are you Republican or Democrat and who's in the White House? Listen, our hope is not in who's in office in the White House. Our hope is in a living, resurrected Jesus and a church empowered by his spirit, the one who makes, wants to make a transformation in the world around us, Right? I get so tired of all of the, the tirades that I see on social media about political things. Listen, this is primarily a spiritual movement that has profound political implications, but it does not start in politics. It starts with the overflow and the movement of the Spirit of God. What we need are radical disciples. The kind of disciples willing to put down their nets, willing to say, my priorities look different. I am about the kingdom of God. I am on mission. I am focused on how I can make an impact and simply bear witness to what God has done in my life and help other people find him and discover him. Church, we can afford to backseat drive this thing. My cynical commentary and complaint about culture does no one any good. And you don't even want to hear that, right? What the world needs desperately is the life-saving truth of a risen, resurrected Savior who says, that thing that you're in bondage to, I can set you free from that. That's what our world desperately needs. I was uh, struck this week listening to the news about yet another school shooting that happened in Texas, right? My kids are growing up in a world that I didn't even understand growing up. School shooting was not a thing when I was a kid. I didn't, even, I didn't even think about it. I didn't give it a second thought. My kids will know no different than a world in which their schools, places of safety, are filled with violence. Listen, what is not helpful is for me to sit over here and make comments and lament about the way the world is. You know what makes a difference is me getting involved and invested and you getting involved and invested and telling one other person, hey, can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? Can I, can I tell you how this Savior who's alive and conquered sin and death can make a radical transformation in your life? And church, as we go out and one by one bear witness to the work of what God is doing, I believe that God wants to unfold a movement of redemption and restoration in our world. And it starts by maybe setting aside the keyboard, putting down the bullhorn and getting invested and saying, let me just love you and bear witness to what God has done and tell you the truth of the gospel. And, and maybe some of you are going, ah, I don't know if I want to be the religious fanatic, right? I don't, I don't want to be the, the Bible thumper who comes and like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. I don't want to be that guy. Church, I think our mission is urgent. When we look at the world around us and we see the brokenness that exists, let that drive us to a sense of urgency to say, we have the message that matters. We have the hope of redemption and transformation and let that drive us forward in urgency, 
And, and, and here's what I, I hope we remember. This is the key thing. In, in Acts 1 verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Church, we have to recognize that this mission to go and make disciples and bear witness to what God is doing, this is a mission that is empowered by the Spirit of God. This Sunday, May 20th, this is what we call Pentecost Sunday in the church. It's 50 days after Easter. If you continue reading Acts, you should. You should read Acts chapter 2 this week. It's the story of Pentecost. This is the story of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the church. And in literally in this one day in the life of the church, Peter preaches this message and thousands of people respond to the gospel as the Holy Spirit of God does a work in their life. Church, we have to recognize this mission we've been called to. Jesus doesn't say, go make disciples. Good luck. Mm-mm. Mm -mm. Jesus says, go make disciples and listen, I'm going to depart from you, but my spirit, the very presence and power of God will dwell in your life and the spirit himself will empower this process. How many of you are thinking, I don't know enough to make a disciple? What, what, if, I, what if I can't answer the questions? What if I don't have the right words to say? I've got my own doubts. I don't know if I can help somebody else become a disciple, but listen, church, it's not just about you. It's about what the spirit can do in you and through you and in the life of that person. You know, one of the, the greatest, this is going to sound ironic, wrestlings of my life is the absurdity of something like preaching. Think about it. You know, those passages in the Bible that you read and you go, I have no idea what this means. Do you know how many times I read the same passage and I go, ha, ah, this is a tough one. And yet part of my call is to bring this word of God and to bring it to bear in a situation like this. There's so many times I look at this and, and church, hear me, if, if this is a human thing, if this whole church thing is all about what we can do in our strength, I'm out. I don't want that. I don't want to just be part of another human movement and institution, but what I firmly believe is that the body of Christ, you and I as believers, that the Spirit is present and moving and active and that God is still up to something. And this is not a human endeavor, but it's empowered and enlivened by His Spirit. There, there's this thing that I've witnessed several times, and, it, and it's mind-boggling. I spend a lot of time thinking and praying and putting together what I'm going to present in a moment like this. Too much. I probably think about it too much, right? Some weeks I have to just let it down and say, okay, God, I'm trusting you. And there, there are a few times when someone has come up to me and they said, Pastor, you, you said this in your message and it, and it impacted me. And they, they proceed to tell me what they said. And I go, I didn't say any of that. Like, that's not in my notes. That's not even something I would say. That's not something I would do. But what I recognize, church, is that's a sacred moment when the Spirit of God has taken my humble, feeble words, and the Spirit says, I'm going to do something unique in you because it's out of my hands. Church, I am, you're not that good. I'm not that good. If this is a, a human endeavor, there's no hope. But the message of the gospel is that this is not a human endeavor. This is a Holy Spirit-empowered, enlivened endeavor. You should read Acts 2. In Acts chapter 2, it says, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And we could look at Acts chapter 2 and go, oh, God, it's great that you were alive and active then. Church, we live post-Pentecost. We live after this, this outflow of God's Spirit. We are to be people enlivened and empowered by the very presence of God dwelling in our lives. So there's going to be times and there's going to be moments when you share your story with someone and you're going to feel like, ah, I fumbled through that. I, I misquoted Romans 3.23. And now they're like, they're never going to respond. And yet the Spirit of God is going to show up. And that person's heart is going to be open to the gospel. And they're going to respond. And you're going to go, God works in spite of me. 
The other component to this church is this is one mission, many contexts. He says, you'll receive power and the Spirit comes on me, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission doesn't change, but we're called to many contexts. And so one of the questions we might have is, where do I begin to be a witness? What Jesus tells the disciples, he says, hey, start in Jerusalem. And what he's telling them is start where you're already planted. Start where you already have a sphere of influence. Church, you want to know where to start making disciples? Start with your family. Start with your friends. Start with your neighborhood. Start with your coworkers. Because God has already blessed you with the sphere of influence. Start there. Start bearing witness to the work of what God has done in your life. And then he says, ultimately, this is going to spread to Judea. This is a regional influence. And God even, even tells them, Jesus says, you're going to bear witness in Samaria. Now, for us, it's like, no big deal. Samaria, great. For the Jewish people, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. There was a long history and a lot of enmity between the two. So when God says, listen, you're going to bear witness even in Samaria, what he's saying is, even to the difficult people that you wrestle with, you're still called to serve and to bear witness there. So those coworkers that you see in the hall, and you're like, ooh, I'm going to go this way, because I don't want to have that conversation with them, right? God says, nope, nope, even there, you're going to bear witness. And ultimately, this thing is going to go global. So church, this matters. Our response is to get engaged. Notice what happens at the end of this passage. Verse 10, it says, they, these are the apostles, they were looking up into the sky as Jesus is ascending. It says, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's going is coming back. I, I love this. I just pictured the, the apostles, they're looking intently up in the sky like, Peter, do you see Jesus? Ah, I think I see a sandal. Nope, 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 it's a bird. And suddenly these two angels appear, and, and there's this little rebuke in the text. The angels go, guys, why are you staring looking at the sky? Go, right? The implication is don't just stand here and look. Go, church. Too many of us, when we think about the end times, too many of us are going, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. But listen, that's great. Turn that into an urgency to go and make disciples. Too many of us are willing to stand around and wait going, I'm safe. I've got the gospel. I can't wait until Jesus comes back. That is not the response and call of the church. The response is Go. Be sent, live with urgency, because the message that God has given us is of the utmost importance. Church, we can't afford to backseat drive this thing. Nobody wants to hear our critical, cynical commentary on the world. What they're thirsty for and what they're hungry for is the life-saving truth of the gospel. Ephesians 2, even when we were dead in sins and transgressions, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus. Amen? So let's be on mission today. I'm going to turn it over to Dave, and you've got application points at the bottom. Be aware, pray, give, go. Pastor Dave is going to talk about some ways that, as a church, we're serving not just here, but partnering to serve the global community as well. Like Aaron said, one church, many contexts. One of my, my hopes is to bring some application points that are very pivoted and, and uh, some pretty important implications that should happen in our lives once we begin to begin living a life on mission. Um, our life should begin to look a little differently. And so just real short, we're going to go over this. Um, aware, give, go, um, and, and pray. Those are four very good implications of a life uh, transformed by the mission of God. And so the first thing I want to talk through is the, this, the first one, be aware. What does that look like? Now, the, the hard part is this actually takes a little bit of work to become aware of something. You have to learn. You have to know. Um, so one of the things that I've, that I've done today is um, in your insert, there's the anointment report. On the back side is a missions map. 
Uh, my hope was to create a simple way to communicate what we're actually doing. There's a lot of names and projects that are on here, but it's broken down in a very simple format, format that should say, be aware of who we're supporting. And maybe today, you could pick one of those names or project and make that a prayer focus for your year. As you leave, there's tables set up, two downstairs, one upstairs by the global outreach map, and there's prayer cards on there. Take one of those cards. If there's a name on here, you say, oh, I'd like to know more about what they're doing. Take that card. On the back of that card, explains a little bit of their stories and how you can be involved. Because if you're not aware of what's going on, how else can you support them? Once you become aware of what's going on, I urge that you begin to pray for them. I ask every time a missionary comes in, how can I be a good partner? What can we do to, to be engaged with what's going on? And the first thing they always say is just pray for us. And I'm always like, why is that the first thing? I, I'm praying for you. Yes, that's the easy thing to do. But for them, they're li living in a different context. They're in this mission every day. And they need words of encouragement. They need people to lift them up. A simple prayer every day. Put this prayer card, if you pick one up as you go, put it in your bathroom, on your fridge, in your car, as a reminder of just praying for the missionaries that we're supporting. And it, it could look as simple of saying, God, I just pray for Carrie today. I pray that she has a, a, a good day of ministry. She's able to share your gospel with somebody and just be with her uh, throughout her day. Something simple, but it's so important to be engaged with what's going on. Uh, the next thing that I want to talk through um, is the give side of things. Now, giving looks so different in every context. Um, giving look of your time, energy, talents, and finances. We do a lot of things through missions. Um, you can be involved with different fundraisers. Um, you, you can just be, be simply involved um, by just being a part of the things that's going on here at Grace Point. Um, but one very important way that I don't want to pass up today is our Global Outreach Financial Commitment Card. This is one way that you can give of your finances that's going to make a kingdom impact with the missionaries that we are supporting. Last year, we had pledged and we were able to give over $62,000 for people who invested in their finances to, to this giving. It's the Global Outreach Giving. This is changing lives around the world. It's making it possible for us to be able to support the missionaries that we're supporting. So what I want to do is one practical way is by filling this out, you can turn this in today. As you leave, you can hand it off at the information desk or at each prayer station. Um, there's a little place where, for you to put this in. I'd say fill it out today. If you feel like God's calling you to be a part of this movement, you can go ahead and do that. If not, there's two other things. I don't want to guilt you into being a part of this. That's by no means our intention. I know a lot of people have a lot of things going on, but this will be a really fun way to be able to see how God's moving in our lives. Um, but take this card with you and pray over it over the next week. Put it in your Bible. Put, put, put it somewhere where you can remember to pray over it. Say, God, what does this look like in our lives? Is there some way that we can begin giving sacrificially for your movement in the kingdom? And so take that with you and pray over it. And you can bring it back next week and turn it in with the offering. The last one, and this is one I don't want to pass up, is go. There are people who've been here today where your hearts have hopefully been stirred. Stirred in a good way. Maybe God is calling you to become or to be in ministry. What does it look like? Are you called to be a missionary? To be able to go to the ends of the world? If you feel like God has called you to step into ministry today, please come talk to me or one of the pastors on staff. We would love to walk through that process with you. We had six high school students stand up here before service. We had a, a lot of graduating seniors today from Oasis, or this, this month from Oasis. 
For those of you who are graduating and leaving, what does it look like to live a life, an intentional life, as you begin to transition to a new state or new area, a new college? Live life intentionally wherever you go. If you're graduating, you can make a huge impact in the town that you're a part of. We also have a lot of people that come and go from, from our congregation. A lot of people are here for a little bit and their jobs take them somewhere else. If you're moving or if you're in that transition of life, wherever you go next, make it intentional. Become part of the body. Learn how to serve that church as best as you can. Live life on mission there as well. We've also been able to send a, a whole lot of 70 different people on short-term mission trips this year. And we'll be providing more opportunities in the next year. Next week, we're sending a team to Uganda. We have three individuals that are going to go and connect with some of the ministries um, that we're supporting there. What an amazing way to see what God's doing around the world. And it's not a fun way to just travel, but it's very intentional to see how God's moving around the world. So if you feel like God's calling you to go, this is a very good entry point to see how's God moving around the world. So what I want to do right now is I want to pray over this, um, this global outreach giving, but then for also those who may be sent to call or called to go or to be, to be able to see the movement and how God's moving in your life. So please join me in a word of prayer. God, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing Aaron to bring the message today, to really call us to have a, a heart that's on mission for you. What does that look like in our lives? To be able to, to give our testimony to the people that we're living with, that we're around. First of all, I want to pray for our global outreach giving today. God, that you would rise up people who can financially sacrifice and pour out for some of the missionaries that we support in the project to see them um, become everything that you want them to be. So I pray that you would stir in the hearts of those and be able to help some people just make some commitments to say it, it might just be a little bit today. But the most of all, I want to pray for those who are called to go. If people are transitioning out of Brookings, for those who are graduating high school or college that are leaving to their next phase of life, I want to pray for those that are going to Uganda and who are serving on short-term mission trips, that you would be able to bring trans life transformation power upon them. That has very little to do with us, but it's everything about your Holy Spirit in our lives as we go out. So I pray that we can become a body that can be that we can carry that message because we're all sent, uh, we're all called to make disciples of the nations. So I pray that you would be able to see us as somebody who's able to go. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.